Thank you so much, Dickinson Cheng, for leading us and being brave enough to read all those different names, which is always a challenge when we do the Old Testament. For all who come here, please remind yourselves that it's an honour and a privilege to listen to God's Word. Amen? Always, no matter how difficult or foreign the circumstances that we read about here. So today, the message is simple. What does trusting in God look like from day to day, from circumstance to circumstance, from decision to decision? And so, where do we begin to explore this? And we have to think of, as we ask that question, what does it mean to be the well-behaved people of God, walking in faith and obedience to God? So, because I'm a dog lover, I can only give you dog illustrations, okay? What's the character of a well-behaved dog or cat or pet? The character of a well-trained dog, well-behaved dog, is, as you look at it, photo after photo after photo. Can you tell me what's common between them? I hope so. It's quite clear that their eyes, their attention are always on the owner, Right? And so the character of good pets, the character of good children, the eyes are always on you, they feel safest with you, and basically after a while of living together, I trust you, I trust you. And the basis for that trust, I believe that you are out to bless me. I believe you are out for my good. Then we ask the flip side question, what's the character of bad pets or bad dogs or bad cats? Here is the character. <laughs> so you ask yourself, who is walking who? Is the dog walking you or are you walking the dog? And oftentimes you see out there, you see this. And so what's the character of bad behaviour? The character of bad behaviour is their eye is never on you. They think for themselves that they are not safe with you. That they think you are not out for their good, for their blessing, for their joy. And they are better, out, better off looking out for themselves to bless themselves for their good. You take that principle off to us. That's how Israel related to God. Their eye was never on God. They didn't feel safe in God. And basically, their message to God is, we don't trust you. Though you've been so good to us, all the way from your promises to its fulfilment. And we don't believe that you are out for our good because you brought us out of Egypt only for us to die in this land. You remember that? They repeat that grumbling again and again. So the outline of this particular portion in Deuteronomy 3 is this. It's trusting God for victory against their enemies. Trusting God for unity as the 12 tribes arrive in the land that God promised. And finally, trusting God for eternity as we see how Moses is disqualified from the land. And yet, as it's passed on to Joshua, What's his hope and what's his future for him who does not enter? And the bottom line question is, do we trust in God's redemption or do we trust in self-rescue and self-redemption? To really understand this in the total context of the Bible, which has to do with you and me, is this. If I ask you, what is one Old Testament passage? I've given this to you for two weeks now, right? What is one Old Testament passage you must never forget? What is one new Old Testament passage you must know and never forget? Without this passage, everything collapses. The rest of the Bible doesn't make sense. 
It's not that the Bible making sense. All that God is and all that God promises is not true. The passage is Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham and five times the word bless, bless, bless. He will bless them with land. He will bless this old couple with not just one child, Isaac. Through that one child will come 12 tribes. Through the 12 tribes will come a great nation, more numerous than the sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. And this nation that comes from Abraham will be a blessing to all nations around them. This nation is God's key to global blessings. It is Genesis 12 that reverses a very important thing that you and me face. From Genesis 3 onwards, we are kicked out of God's presence. We are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And God says to Adam and Eve who rebel against Him, who didn't trust His word, Cursed is the ground because of you. When you eat of this fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will surely die. And so what do we have? The story of salvation is one of promise and fulfilment. God promising through Abraham, the father of the faith, our spiritual forefather. So in the first four books, Genesis to Numbers, God fulfills his promise of children to an old couple and a barren womb, the barren womb, the dead womb of Sarai. So he fulfills that promise. If you were God, you will never make a promise like that to an old couple. You make promises of children to young couples, newly married couples. You don't make them to those in the 70s or 80s. Then, Deuteronomy and Joshua, the focus is on the second part of the promise, the promise of land. And the message of promise and fulfilment of God's story of saving us is very simple. For Israel at this moment, the first three chapters leading to chapter 4, where Moses will give a sermon to his, the next generation, if God can fulfill his promise of descendants against all odds to an aged couple who have zero chance of bearing children, can he not fulfill the promise of land against all enemies, even though they may be giants and their cities are fortresses. That seems impossible, invincible, impossible to conquer. I've showed this map again and again. And just to see where the action is, last week we saw in chapter 2, then they, they marched up and they passed by the Edomites, they passed by the Moabites who were like their cousins, they passed by the Ammonites, and God's instruction to them is don't touch them, don't wage war. But from this point onwards, the end of chapter 2, Heshbon and the king of Bashan, you must fight them. And you must destroy everyone in that land. So where does that take us? That takes us to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this. Next slide. Israel's holy war. The war that God commands Israel to wage if I may use the words carefully, it is one-off, it is distinctive, it is unique, it is, in my understanding, never to be repeated again. Let's take a look at it. When we turn and went up to Bashan, 
Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us. And he and all his people to battle at Edrei. You saw that on the map. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites. That was just recorded for us at the end of chapter 2. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og, also the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we struck him down until he had no survivors. So two things just for you and me to understand. The how of this unique, distinctive, non-repeatable holy war. And then the why, the purpose of it. The how, did you notice, is this war is going to be waged not with the defence budget. This war is not going to be waged by military strength. This war will be waged by God's word. And exact obedience to God's word. And the Lord said, so Israel always has to choose between thus says the Lord or thus says our circumstances. And the Lord said to them, you do not fear him. Why? Because thus says the Lord, do not fear him. Because I've given him over to you. And you shall do to him all that I've promised. You will rout him. You will conquer him. So that's the how of this holy war. No trust in human effort. No trust in chariots and horses. It's trusting in God as warrior. The why is the distinctiveness. It is to dispossess this small plot of land called the promised land. This small piece of land in what we call the Middle East today. To dispossess them of people <coughs> who are so prone so addicted, symbolizing a whole world that, will, that has rebelled against God. A whole world in which the ground is cursed and we will eat by the sweat of our brow. When we are thrown out of the Garden of Eden, we will fill our world with man-made idols and think that the man-made idols will bring us to our own Eden, to our own paradise, to our own utopia. And God basically wants to rid the land of all man-made gods. And God will tell them in the next chapter, I do not want you to make idols and images of any birds, any fish, any animals on land. I do not want you to make images of the sun, the moon and the stars. You go to the museums around the world and you're going to see this. You're going to see in the histories of the world, the cultures of the world, images of this the gods that we worship right through our history when we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And God, possessing this small piece of land in the Middle East, was a small picture. The first deposit is God as if put down a deposit. The first deposit is, I will plong my nation of Israel of 12 tribes into the Promised Land as a small picture that one day I will reclaim all nations out of idolatry to worship me. And so Israel's holy war and the salvation story, she was to become a small picture, right? A case study, as it were, a foretaste. If God can rid the land of this, surely one day he will rid the whole earth of the fake worship of self and our self-made God. That is the gospel, you know? This is a gospel statement. 
Because God is going to draw all the nations to worship Him. And you and me should know how that is done. And so, to draw lessons from here, Christ, Christians and holy wars, question mark, through the thousands of years of history, especially in the last 2,000 years, some Christians through time, calling themselves Christians, have embarked on holy wars in the name of God, in the name of Christ, conquering people by sword, defeating people by war. The Crusades is the standout example. We should apologise for the Crusades because it was not done with the right theology. It was done for the wrong reasons. And the colonisation that happened still under God's sovereignty, when the French went out to conquer nations, when the British came here, my father and his generation, when the British landed in southern China and Swatow, etc., was they called themselves Christians, but they conquered us by giving us the opium war. They gave us opium to take away tea. These fellows cannot be godly. And the leftovers of that is China saying to the West, we will never allow you to conquer us again because you humiliated us. All the wars that we fight in the name of God, we shed blood. When the Spaniards arrived in the Philippines, right, when I went to preach there, and then they showed me the museum, it was all slaughter, slaughter, in the name of God. In the name of God? No, in the name of gold. In the name of God's glory? No, in the name of Spanish glory. So all those things we are not to embark on. We are to win people, not kill people for Christ and trusting God for victory. For when Jesus comes to fulfil this promise that God made to Abraham, that in Jesus alone He comes to defeat the devil's work, He comes to forgive us of sin, He comes to absorb God's wrath against us, He comes to make us the children of God, He comes to bless us for eternity. Jesus' instruction was, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Of who? of all nations, that the true Israelite has come and the true Israelite who lives in complete faith and obedience to God's promise, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, he tells all who believe in him, we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, church, we go, we, know, we must never kill for Christ, we will always die for Christ. Amen? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means you've come under new management, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So trusting God for victory over Satan and sin, it's vitally important. And so the Mandarin ministry don't have, didn't have a service today because Pastor Chao sometimes he likes to think about retirement, he's slightly lazy. No! Because tomorrow is Parents' Day. And the only way to win your parents to Christ is not to fight with them. You can't nag your parents into the kingdom, but you can pray your parents into the kingdom. You have to gospel your parents into the kingdom. You have to witness your parents into the kingdom. You point them to Jesus. For me, I waited 25 years for my mother to believe in Christ. A long time. I do not know how, you, how long you have waited. Right? And so we were called by the Ministry of Manpower, right? Hari Raya, they are 
people in their dorms, can you as ARPC come and help us distribute food? Pastor Lak Yong, who I rope along to do the migrant work that we started during the, the pandemic, during COVID. You know they were stuck in their dorms for two years? You know what it's like to be stuck in? You and me were stuck for five weeks. We couldn't get out. You remember the jubilation when you came out of Circuit Breaker? Do you remember or not? I remember going to the barber. I remember lining up my car. I took a picture to go to McDonald's. Hey, you don't remember anything or not? This is recently, you know, during COVID. Just recently, right? And so every packet of food that we give, we buy them the best biryani in Singapore. It's a waste of money, lah, you Really? Because their employers are very prone to give them substandard food. We are Christians. So we go out there and reach them. So the first outings that we had, we were the first church to go out. Say, Pastor Chris, can you tell us how brief us how to reach out to Indians and Bangladeshis? You think what? I'm Indian. Ah? But I grew up among Indians and Malays in Malaysia more than you. So by briefing to them, the team that went out with us to Hot Pub was the most of brothers, brothers from, from India and, and Bangladesh, the most is 10 English words, 20 English words, thereabouts. So how are you going to communicate the gospel? You can't. We shouldn't on the first go. So we communicate with the whole body. And what's the whole body? Your eyes must show you're interested in them. right? And what do the Indians love? Dancing lah. That is the one language that will bond with them. So you know, Pastor Roger went, Pastor Jeff went, we all right. the moment they could they saw us do that, right? This they basically said, These fellows can be trusted. Then we sat down and ate the packet food on the same level as them. I want to ask you how many of their bosses, their contractors who use them as, as builders, have sat on the floor with them. We win people not by killing them. We win people not by judging them. We win people not by holding them by the neck. We win people by loving them into the kingdom. Amen? And that's how it is for us. We have no more holy wars to wage except to share the gospel. And every time we open the Bible and share Jesus, we are, we are taking back every inch of land from Satan. Somebody I went to a dinner for, for leaders, Christian leaders. I was talking about what, how, is, how is your social media, uh, how is your Facebook, how is your Instagram, etc. He's, he's older than me. He said, now the battle for our next generation. Uh, see, for us, we talk about businessmen. He's a successful businessman, very successful, right? So we talk about market share, market share. If I do this, I sell this food, I do this service, my market share is 10%, my market share is this, my market share is that. Now we talk about mind share. The mind share of Satan over this generation is almost complete because he's won the social media wars. He's made you totally addicted to this. The number of children addicted to pornography seems irreversible. I read an article in Channel News Asia, right? And it says, just give up the fight because we can't win it. Should we lie down and give up the fight? that our children's mind share is now totally occupied by Satan and darkness and porn? No. 
we will fight for every inch of that mind share. The battle for the mind is the battle for the soul. And that's the only reason you sit here. You think the singers and we exist to make you comfortable? We are to stir each other up, spur each other on to love and good deeds. So don't fall asleep every week here. Because we are on. There's a battle that Jesus gave us against Satan. We've got to trust that Jesus is victorious over Satan. Amen? Hello, good, good afternoon. Are, are you here? So that's the first thing. Trusting God for victory. The victory from the Old Testament, Old Testament was physical war. The victory in the New Testament is spiritual war. It's always been spiritual war, except it was manifested physically for a short period of time. But we will be mistaken to go and wage war on behalf of Christ. That's different too when nations go out to war and we Singaporeans prepare our men for war. That war is not a holy war. The wars that we fight could be just wars. What's the difference between a just war and a holy war? A holy war you wage in the name of God. A just war, if you were a Christian living, under, in, living in Germany in World War II, 1939 to 1945, Hitler held himself out to be a man who believed in God. You go and read his, go and read the biography about him. The Protestant leaders, was, pastors were gathered to meet him, whether this man was trustworthy. And after he walked them to the corridors of power, one of the pastors asked him, Führer, that's his name, his title, Führer, what's your basis for, what's your basis for your belief? that you want to bring glory back to the motherland of Germany. He reached into his coat, he pulled out this thing, and it was a pocket Bible. He warned all the Protestant pastors who were there that this man can be trusted. This man can be trusted. He pulled out the Bible. But through time, as they then slowly discovered, he was exterminating Jews to the total of six, seven million of them. Christians started to think, no, this man is not of God. This man is of the devil. We got to get rid of him. The most famous of the pastors who stood up and tried to assassinate Führer, Hitler, was Bonhoeffer. So that's a just war. And there could be Christians in Myanmar now. Do you get rid of the military junta that's there? That things of life as cheap, especially Christian lives. If you were Christian in Myanmar, you may want to pray and take part in getting rid of the military junta. That's different from holy war. That's your part to get rid of evil before you. It's not which in the name of Jesus, particularly. And yet after, as we do that, we believe in God. And then Israel possesses the land. As Israel possesses the land, what are the things we can learn? When we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gedites, what? The territory beginning at Ario, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. And so as you read this, Moses led them, they conquered part of that land, and he started to distribute it among two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gedites, and the Manassites. And this is what is important for us. 
There's a message about land and brothers and rest. Each one of them needs explanation. And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. So you possess it. All your men of valour, your fighting men, shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities I have given you, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. You know what that means? So we fought this battle together, all 12 tribes of Israel. But you're the first ones, and Moses says, I give you this, the Reubenites, the Gedites, the Manasites. But leave your children, leave your wives, leave your livestock. The fighting men still come with me. We still got land to conquer. And the lesson is very important. It's one of unity. The two words there, brothers, means they are same family. One family. Each island, is that right? My Mandarin is so bad. So rest in the promised land is not merely the absence of war, the end of enemies, but the presence of God's goodwill. And God's goodwill was promised to Abraham, now being fulfilled in them. So rest in the land. You go to the land, you rest. You rest with God. You rest from your enemies. You rest because you have faith and obedience. And the blessings of God are poured out upon you. And rest is for all the brothers. It's for all 12 tribes. Because we still have battles to fight. The war is not over. Rest is for all Israel. And just in case you can't read, I put it on the bigger one. No rest until all rest. I'm not settled until you are settled in the land. I'm not at peace until you all 12 tribes are at peace. And so the military term, right, leave no man behind, was not made up by the military. Leave no man behind was given by God to Israel. Every Israelite should have their own plot of land in the promised land. So it was to teach them love. Love is other person's centeredness. There must not be any self-interest among the 12 tribes. No self-interest. Just because Moses has given you this land, you do not say, I'm not going to fight. You must fight because it's all, all of God, all of us against all of them as he takes us to the worship of God. So you love God by loving your brothers in unity. By the time we come to the New Testament, right? actually before we get there, how did Israel experience this in their life? Israel never obeyed this. She split into two nations, the north and the south. Very sad. They all belong to the same family, but they split. Whose work do you think that is? Surely not God. Because from the time they've tasted the first taste of victory, the first taste of settling in that land, God wanted them to taste the first taste of love expressed in other person's centeredness. centeredness. OPC. No self-interest. No rest for me until you rest. No peace for me until you have peace. I won't be settled in my heart until you are settled in the land. Amen? That is loving God with all your heart, man, all your heart, soul and strength and loving your neighbour as yourself. As God's people, we never exist to popper our neighbour. 
As God's people, we exist to prosper our neighbour. When Israel listens to God, she will be a blessing to the nations around them. And that's vitally important for us. So by the time you come to the New Testament, that's what it is. You find through Christ in the early New Testament church calling two races of people who hated each other, but they all were united in the same church. Jews hated Gentiles, Gentiles hated Jews. It's like asking me to start a church, right? Somewhere between Ukraine and Russia that will have Ukrainians and Russians. You think Ukrainians and Russians can join the same church? You think Pakistanis and Indians can be part of the same church? You think mainland Chinese and Hong Kongers can be part of the same church? You think mainland Chinese and Taiwanese Chinese can be part of the same church? That is, those are gospel questions. Jews and Gentiles was the case study. Two races who hated each other's guts under Christ are to consider each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the first sign of division in the early church was Acts 6. From Acts 1 to Acts 5, the risen Lord Jesus, the word of God spread, the number of disciples grew. The word of God spread, the number of disciples grew. The word of God about Jesus spread and the number of disciples among the Jews grew. Acts 6 is the first crisis they face. And what is the crisis? There was accusation of injustice between the Orthodox Jews and the Grecian Jews, the Diaspora Jews, who all met in Jerusalem. And said, the Diaspora Jews in Jerusalem, their widows were having less food than the Orthodox Jews. And how did they solve this problem? They chose seven men, all of them with Greek-sounding names. Stephen was one of them. Philip, right? Those names. And made them deacons. And this decision and action was so good, so good, that a good number of Jewish priests got converted. Which means in Christ, you must understand that Jesus died to make us the family of God. There should be no race barriers, culture barriers, all the barriers that we build in our sinful nature. Right? So we are, you should think this way, and how does that work for us? I won't feel blessed until you are blessed. So God has blessed us to grow from a small group of people, 60, 80 of us. In 1991, when I came, by God's grace, had to take over when Pastor Richard Ng passed away. It was mainly boys brigade, girls brigade, to what we have now. The official numbers now is with 2,047 members. The average attendance every week is 1,009 to 2,000 adults. 400 youth, 600. We got ARPC at Adam, ARPC at Bishan. We prayed and encouraged three, 400 people to come and start the services. When we started here, maybe it was 30 people, 40 people. Remember that? Were you here? No, you were not. And look at how it's grown. It's full to the brim at 9 o'clock. It's half full now. The numbers that left our services at Adam, God has filled it up. By next year, by God's grace, right? Tengah will be up. And so we're going to be one church in three places. The danger and the challenge for us is this. You won't be happy unless things are going well in Adam. You shouldn't be happy 
until things are going well in Tengah. It's quite easy to look after our self-interest here at Bishan. And the people at Adam have to be challenged the same way when I preach there next week. You can't be happy unless you know that the people here are blessed. By God's grace, we raised this $45 million not from two churches, from one church. So happened to be worshipping in two places. And so this is a precious lesson for us. That in the days ahead as we go this, you mustn't rejoice that one place is going faster than the other, doing better than the other. And how does this work across the board? I tell the pastors all the time, this is love expressed in unity. You don't rejoice that your ministry grows and other people's ministry shrinks. We are blessed to be a blessing. So we got 88 discipleship groups. Some are not doing too well. Some are, doing, some are stable and some are flourishing and growing. As many as 40 in the, Bible, in the discipleship group. I, we mustn't rejoice those who are growing at those who are languishing, as if you had some special charisma as DG leader. They'll be mistaken. Is that true? That runs across the board for all of us. And that's just thinking about us between ourselves. Do you know the number of Christians is dropping in Singapore? The number of people who are atheists are increasing. And who are they? They are your children who go to JC and Poly and University. And by the time they go there, they are hit with all sorts of worldview. The mind share there is that what your parents taught you, where you were for Sunday school and basic, it's all not true. You go to the liberal universities of America, the liberal lecturers will tell you, your Christian parents brainwashed you for 18 years. We have three years to unwash that. We are out to make you atheists. They will boldly tell you that. You think it's not a spiritual battle? It is. And as God grows us, I always put in our ACM report, we are blessed to be a blessing. Some of our churches are struggling. So last week we had Uncle Roland pass out in the service. The doctors tell me in hindsight, hey, I think his heart really stopped for about 10 seconds. By God's grace, bang, 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 they did this. Some doctors get it, but it was somebody who shouted at the 9 a.m. service, it's okay, I'm CPR trained. <laughs> Just because they are doctors, huh? doctors maybe have forgotten now because 30 years ago they learned this. You ask them to do this, they may not know how to do this. No? But you have to be CPR trained. Right? And so our churches are ageing. Our youth are living. The number of weddings is less than 10 in every church. The number of children we're producing is maybe 5 to 10 in every church. Which means that in 5 years' time, 10 years' time, you can close the Sunday school. That's why we put those figures there. To tell us that we are blessed to be a blessing. And so we have a disproportionate number of doctors in the RPC. Praise God! Hallelujah! Praise God! Okay. We've got a disproportionate number of law lawyers. We've got a disproportionate number of civil servants. Totally disproportionate to other churches. Because we are great. No! If we are so blessed by God, it is to bless others. Amen? Then think further. Singapore is so blessed. You read the newspaper report? We have overtaken New York as the most expensive property and real estate in the world. New York both in terms of sales and in rentals. Because the latest thing is, HDB flat, five room rented at $6,000. Even New York cannot match that. 
And you rent in New York, it's actually a condominium apartment, maybe Trump's run. But here you just rent HDB flat, no. $6,000. You think God is blessed with so much money so we can look down on Malaysia, Indonesia and our neighbours? God is blessed with so much wealth to be a blessing to the others. Amen? You will not rest until you bring the gospel and people find rest in Jesus. We must think in those ways. And for yourself personally, just ask yourself, why has God blessed you so much? It's not because you deserve it. It's because He's using you as an instrument, as a vessel, as a servant of the gospel. That's how I've always taught you, and I will die preaching that to you. And it comes from the theology of this. Just because I gave you land, Reubenites, Gedites, and Manasites, you still must go out and fight for the whole nation. For unless the other nine and a half tribes get their land, I won't rest because you are my brothers. Amen? We do not read scripture in a vacuum. You do not come here to fall asleep. We come here to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Amen? And the love and good deeds is go forth. You do not, God does not give us three pieces of land for us to be comfortable. So comfortable, I come anytime, got seat here, got seat there. You think that's what it is for? It is for you, Deacon Sinching says, there's still a lot of empty seats. Every time you see an empty seat, you think, who among my relatives can I pray to fill this seat? Who among my friends in school, in work, my bosses, yeah, your boss can become a Christian. It's possible. Right? It's possible. Right? Can I bring him here? In the marketplace ministries that we do, right? One or two of them will come up to me. I invited my boss today. I say, How, uh, welcome here, boss. <laughs> when colleague invite boss, we will not rest until your boss comes to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. As much as it's true for parents, it's true for our children, it's true for our youth. It's true for all of us across the board. So no self-interest. Finally, we hit Moses. With Moses, at that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord has done to these two kings. So did you notice? Moses is used by God to initiate the holy war. Moses is used by God to give them possession of part of the land. But in God's purposes, in the light of his impending death. So Deuteronomy begins with him, his impending death, and Deuteronomy will end with him actually dying. In the light of his impending death, God ordains that he should pass it on to Joshua and the next generation. And Moses is saying here, he's pleading with God, let me go into the good land. And so, here it is. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. Notice how Moses speaks about where he is 
and where he longs to go. Where he is is only the earth, the land. Where he wants to go, where he longs to go, is called the... Is called the... Can you read? It's called the good land. And why is it good? Because it's the God land. Because God gave it, it is a good land. When you take land and use it for idolatry, it becomes bad land. But Moses will not enter. And you ask, what was Moses' sin? One DG member in my group, who is in his 80s, says, maybe Moses was hard of hearing. Right? Because uh, the language in Numbers 20, you've got to put Numbers 20 together, you've got to put Deuteronomy 3 together. God told him to speak to the rock, but Moses struck the rock. So if it's English, right? Speak to the rock, strike the rock. Speak to the rock, strike the rock. I don't know which one, I'm old already. So he struck the rock. Is it a case of old age and bad hearing? No. Was it a case of carelessness in listening to God's word and obeying God's word? Most likely. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 4, he says, we all drank, we all ate the same spiritual food. We all drank the same spiritual drink. We all drank from the same spiritual rock, which is Christ. Very strange, right, that Paul to the apostle should write that. He's actually saying, Christ was there with Moses and his generation as they journeyed in the wilderness. How can it be? Christ only came hundreds of years later. The Word become flesh. But listen carefully. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And by verse 14, the Word became flesh. There was never a time in which the Son of God was not God. That's what I think he's saying. And Moses, when you disobeyed God, it wasn't disobeying the food, disobeying the physical food, the physical drink, and the rock. You are disobeying God Himself. You must never, never make light of disobedience. It's complex, but I think that is the seriousness that is here for us to understand. And so, God is exacting in His obedience of His people, exacting. And where do you see that in chapters 1 and 2? Chapter 2? I tell you, Moses, tell your people, don't provoke the Edomites. Don't provoke the Moabites. Don't provoke the Ammonites. Don't fight with them. Pay for the food, pay for the drink, bypass them. But now I tell you, fight Sihon. Fight up the king of Bashan. Kill everything in that land. What do you call that kind of commandment? Is precise, is specific, is exact. One group of people, you don't touch them. Next group of people, you obliterate them. You will enter into blessing by being exact in obedience. And Moses and then Aaron and then Joshua had to realize in dealing with this holy God, they were to be exemplary. If God says, speak to the rock, speak to the rock. You do not strike the rock. So some commentators said he struck the rock in self-exalting anger. 
The people grumbled so much, he couldn't take it anymore. He himself sinned. And for that, he was forfeited and disqualified from entering the land. I'm not sure whether I can make this application, but I'll hold it out to you. God bless us with Tenga, and soon COVID hit us. And then we found out in hindsight, as soon COVID hit us, oh God, this is the wrong time to give us this land at Tenga. People are losing their jobs. How are we going to raise these millions of dollars? And there were all sorts of things. Remember the two AGMs that we had? So how are we going to raise this? God has given this to us. Do you believe that? And then through COVID, do you know one of the things that was being said? Now everything is by Zoom. Everything is virtual. Home-based learning, work from home, schooling will change, work will change, churching will change. You guys made a mistake as leaders because from now on, people don't need church buildings. People don't need to meet physically anymore. I want you to look around. Is that true? You will always need in your God-given nature physical buildings for physical venues, for physical meetings. God did not wire you for virtuality. Virtuality is not reality. I told you this, right? Have I told you this? I came once during COVID to see the principal, primary school. By which time circuit breaker was over, things were lightening up, vaccines were rolled up. Then PE, you know, physical education. How do you think our children had PE during COVID? Each one of them given one ball. You play by yourself. Lah. So the whole PE class, I watched them in the, in, the, in the open space there. You think God wired you to live like that? No. Praise God, we didn't give up. Praise God, we didn't listen to enough of the grumbling to say, why do you need buildings? We should be selling our buildings. Selling at the road, maybe. It doesn't belong to us anyway. You must never be impatient and premature with your conclusions. We did three things. What is it we do? We continue to preach Christ, continue to ask people to pray and to give, and be, persevere. And from that three Ps, we arrived at $45 million. We had no frills, no fundraising, nothing. I say that to you. We were asked twice in the ACMs, Pastor Chris, now in the light of this, do, will we take loans? By the grace of God, I said to him, I said to them at the ACM, if possible, by the grace of God, as long as we are here, we will not take loans, either from institutions or from individuals. You know, many churches embark on church building by borrowing from individuals. We will not take loans. We will not have gimmicks. We will not have fundraising. We will not pressure you. And this building will not be the singular issue. It is preaching the gospel and saving people for the glory of God. That must remain the single issue. Amen? That is exacting. We don't veer, thus says the circumstances, thus says the pandemic, thus says the loss of jobs, thus says the Lord. And now, everywhere I go, is Tengah. How come you all knew about Tengah? ACS going there, you know. Before ACS went, uh, nobody heard of Tengah. Now everybody wants to go to Tengah. Hey, Pastor Chris, you must have known, right? Some civil servants might have told you. No. No civil servant will tell me. 
because they'll be jailed. Is that right? We will only know in hindsight. We step out in faith and God will roll it out step by step. This is the promised land. It's going to have 40,000 new households. Right? And so, that's why we've been asking, oh, yeah, the 9 a.m. service is so full. We asked some of you to come to 11.30 a.m. Some of you have come to 11.30 a.m. I can cite you, I can eyeball you. Give yourself a big hand. All those who came from 9 a.m. Can you please tell more of the 9 a.m. people to come here and fill this up? Right, Elder Adrian sitting there. We talk about this as leaders. We do not want to start another overflow thing. You know why? Because in less than a year, beginning with the end of this year, we're going to ask five, six hundred of us to go to Tengah. Tengah. When we ask you to come, you say, Bishana. We're not asking you to go to Timbuktu, you know. <laughs> Bishan is 10 minutes from Adam Road. Tengah is 15 minutes away on a Sunday. We go to places that God wants us to go. This is not built for your comfort. Everything God gives us is for Christ. Is for evangelism and discipleship. Amen? That's why we're not starting anything new temporarily. Because we want to get you ready to be on the move. Christ and His people, Christ and you, just learn one thing. You're always on the move. You, God never allows you to settle so much in your comfort. The message you get is, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Is that right? So Bishan is not your home, you're just a passing through. And then we go to Tenga. If you are faithful in small things, will he give us another thing? I'm not sure. I won't be around. But whoever leads you in the next leadership have to be responsible for that. We are out to bless Singapore. And so, the iceberg of unbelief they won't go into the land. That's the tip of the iceberg. They say the people are giants. I didn't tell you about the king of Og, right? His bed is so big, 14 feet long, 7 feet wide. Any, any of you, your, your bed is like that? Right? That's the size of your HDB flat. So big. Was that his bed or was that his, his, uh, his uh, cemetery plot? We don't know. But it's to send the message, this guy is big. You know what the message is there in, the, in chapter 3? He, 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 he was big, but he's dead. They may be big, but they die. So Israel, don't fear them. Don't fear them. You will conquer the king of Og. They are no invincible enemies. They are no fortified cities. They all die. God will reign. So, underneath that is fear. Underneath that is grumbling in the tents. But the real root problem is whenever you won't do something God tells you to do, is you don't trust God. It's where we begin. Your eye is not on Him. You think you can bless yourself. You think you can bring yourself more Eden and more paradise than God can ever bless you with. I just want to make a side point with grumbling. That grumbling in the Bible from the Old to the New Testament is not merely complaining. Grumbling is thinking we know better than God, we do better than God and His servants, beginning with Moses and Aaron. That's why you grumble. 
Grumbling is not mere comparison. Grumbling is you think you know better than God. If I was God, I would have done this for me. Think twice about it. You can never bless yourself. And so that's why grumbling is a sin that forfeits God's people into God's kingdom. So I want to leave you as I end these three messages with you to practice the habit and the discipline of remembrance. Remember God's goodness towards you. And why don't you do that personally? Remember the past for present obedience. I've said to you again and again, and whether you understand this or follow this, I pray that you somehow in your life you'll do this. I wake each day, I get on my knees in my house, outside of my patio, and thank God for saving me. Thank God for giving me my wife, Mona. Thank God for giving my children and my grandchildren. Thank God for giving you to me as brothers and sisters to shepherd and to pastor. You ever thank God for ARPC? You ever thank God for your pastors? Thank God for me. And that's not a boast. That is thanksgiving to God that He's blessed us so much in Christ. And when we remember that, we will be eternally grateful to God. Let's stand and pray and sing this song together. All throughout Israel's history to our history, God is faithful. He will be with us. He will hold us fast. Amen? He will. As the musicians get ready, allow me to lead us in prayer. We thank you and praise you, Heavenly Father, for you have not withheld yourself from us. Though you have every right as the Holy God, never to be concerned for us again. Rebels, disobedient, distrusting of you, all the way from Adam, into Israel's life. But we thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, who kept his eyes on you, who is the fulfillment and perfection of faith expressed in obedience, who is the fulfillment and perfection of love and other person-centeredness, that he would not rest until he saves his brothers. And so we turn to you, Lord Jesus, and let precious lessons of faith, obedience, love, other person-centeredness, all for God's glory. And we pray that you will take us from earth to eternity. That Moses, though he was disqualified, as much as he believed in the good news, is there in Hebrews 11 and we will see him in the true promised land. We pray that you set our eyes on our true home and bring as many people together with us we pray we'll never mistake your blessings upon us as merit, as what we deserve for intelligence or our goodness. We don't deserve anything from you, let alone your Son and forgiveness and new life. So make us to be blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.